But let's first uh, look to the Lord in prayer. Good morning, Lord. It's not about us. We know that. Please help us to make it about you. That's why we're here, to honor you and to worship you. We know you because of your word, and we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for equipping Paul for the ministry you had for him. And we pray that you use his words and the words of your servant, Mike, to equip us for the ministry you have for us. Amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 5. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door of effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord, as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, for it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their home, in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, church. Good to see you. Good to be with you on this Lord's Day. I love Sundays. I love being with God's people, worshiping Him. Some good news to share with you here uh, at the outset. Most of you know Pastor Adam and Libby have been called to ministry in the Middle East, in North Africa, 
and they have been trusting God to be raising funds for them, and they hit a, hit a milestone there. They're at, sitting at 70%, and we're just praising God for that. They've, they've, they're, they're getting very, very close. And with that, I'll, I'll share, you know, my heart this morning. It's kind of weird. Like, grief is a weird thing, isn't it? Like, I haven't really grieved at all about them leaving. And this morning, they're in Yuba City. Adam's preaching there and continuing to raise support. And he's uh, enthusiastic about the support they're going to have there. But it just kind of hit me today that, you know, my closest brother and, and colleague in ministry is last six or seven years isn't, isn't going to be here. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm excited for where they're going, but uh, just, just missing them uh, this morning. But we are going to have opportunity to celebrate and to send them off well. Uh, hopefully you got an email. Raise your hand. It's something we can talk about right now. So you've got an email. We're going to be sending them off the last Sunday uh, of, uh, of May. Anyway, um, I'm, just, I'm just excited that their support, uh, just their, their spirits are up. They're excited and they're and they're moving forward. Can I get an amen on that? All right. Well, just uh, a few days ago, I pulled up our church website, and I began to scroll through. I clicked on the listen to sermons and audio, and I uh, began to scroll through all of the sermons going back in time, and they go way back. And I went back to June 28, 2015 which was the first Sunday of the First Corinthians series. Almost a year, and I roughly counted about 33 sermons that Pastor Adam and myself have preached as we have journeyed through this book of First Corinthians. I want to give thanks and, and praise to God. He has changed me, and He has grown me, and I have learned and from those messages that Pastor Adam has preached and the ones that I have preached while I'm preparing and praying and reading and saturating myself with the Word of God, the Lord has also grown me. Uh, he grows me mostly in that process of preparing, not so much when I'm up here on Sunday morning, but I'm just very thankful for the things that He has done in my life as we have journeyed through this book. All that to say, today is our last day in the book of First Corinthians. And Paul is, in this last chapter... Uh, giving out personal requests and final greetings. It is as though he has taken out his uh, phone and he's clicked on Google Maps and he's in Ephesus and he's, he wants to go to Corinth. And he, he's got this destination and this journey in mind. He wants to be with the brothers and sisters in Corinth, but he's not quite ready to make the journey yet. Look at verses uh, 7. Look at chapter 16 and verse 7 with me. He says, I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost. Pentecost being also known as the Feast of Weeks, this Jewish uh, festival in Leviticus 23. It concludes uh, 50 days after Passover. He's saying in verse 8, I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost. Because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. 
Verse 9 is, the Lord just really impressed verse 9 on me. He's staying at Ephesus. He wants to go. He wants to make this journey to Corinth. But he's staying there because the Lord has opened a door for effective ministry and service. And so he's staying. The gospel is being advanced in Ephesus. And so he's staying there. But right alongside the advancement of this gospel, there are many who oppose him. It's interesting, isn't it? This this combination of of the gospel going forth. And I'm going to stay here because of what's going on. But there's also opposition. That there is often opposition as you and I are advancing the gospel, whether it's in our own lives or whether it's in people who don't know the Lord. Uh, there's often opposition to the gospel in the midst of seasons of fruitfulness. This is what we have here as he's winding down this letter and has a heart to go and visit the brothers and sisters in Corinth. Now, one of the most important themes in the book of 1 Corinthians, is love. And in his concluding chapter, in his final paragraphs, Paul mentions love three different times. And I want to look at each of them. The first one is in verse 14. Look at verse 14 with me. He says there, very simply, the NIV renders it, do everything in love. Do everything in love. This is something that the Corinthians needed to receive and they needed to live out and this is something that you and I need to receive and this is something that we need to live out. Verse uh, 14, if I can call it this, is one of these uh, Yoda imperatives. Uh, the verb is thrown at the end here, at the end of this sentence. And this, just, this is just a, a, a command that no matter what you are doing, brothers and sisters, God is calling you to do this in love. He says a very similar thing back at the beginning of chapter 14. He says there, follow the way of love. This is a major theme that you and I, that the ancient Corinthian church, that we live out our day-to-day lives loving God and especially loving others, following this way of love. For those of you who uh, spend time on uh, Instagram or Facebook or whatever the social app is of uh, the day or the year, uh, the Lord is calling you uh, through even this verse uh, to post things, to write things, to, to have your internet interactions be in love. For those of you who go to work each day, God is calling you. To, to uh, not only do your job, not only to do it well, not only to do it excellence, but to go there with love. This is, this is part of what he's calling us to do uh, throughout this entire book and especially here in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 14. Do everything in love, whether you're online, whether you're going to work. Some of you go to school each day. God's calling you to love your classmates. He's calling you to love your teachers. He's calling you to love the staff. Do everything in love. Problem is, we, we get cranky, don't we? Do we get cranky, church? Am I the only one that gets cranky? We, we get cranky. We uh, don't like the way things are going. And so we desperately need God's help to help us love others, especially in situations and circumstances where we don't feel like doing it. Do everything in love. Some of you who are retired, he's calling you in your last years to do everything in love. So... What does Christian love look like? What does it look like? Somewhat of a a summary today through today's message. In the middle, 
of this discussion on spiritual gifts, Paul tells us, he gives us a picture of what love looks like in this section of chapters 12 through 14. He gives us a picture of what it looks like when it's not going on, what doing everything without love looks like, and then he tells us what it looks like. So just listen to this. Just, just listen to what he says. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. He tells us what it looks like. This is what you and I are to look like as we are doing everything each day. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. Does not boast. Is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. God is looking for you and me to live out our lives doing everything that we do in love. We desperately need his help uh, to, to, to do this. Do you need his help? Do you need his help? Some of you, uh, some of you that are uh, dialed in here Maybe need to spur one another on because it's, it's hard to do everything in love. To recognize that we are representing the Lord Jesus Christ at work and at school and online and everything that, every place that we go. And, and part of the mission that God has given us is to display love. Even on vacation, whatever we're doing, do everything in love. Last Sunday, our small group was discussing the beginning of chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Those of you that weren't here, we looked last week at how the church at Corinth and the church in Macedonia and the churches in Galatia, that they all had taken up offerings for the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem that were poor. They're in desperate need and they're needing help. And, and, they, and so in our small group, we went around and we shared different ways that either the church or individual Christians... Had, uh, had, had helped us in times of need. It's a very encouraging time. And I, I shared a story, I'm going to share it with you now, that is a, one of the most beautiful pictures of love from a brother that I've experienced who helped me in a time of need. It goes back to my college days. I was a sophomore uh, at Westmont College. I'm going to show you a picture here from my wedding day. 
And this story involves the guy, uh, the second from the right. His name is John. He's at the center here of this image. And John is with the Lord now, and he's been with the Lord for quite a few years. And my story, one of the greatest demonstrations that I've had in my life of someone loving me and serving me was, was my friend John, who we came to know the Lord about the same time. God graciously used me to share the gospel with him. When we were in high school, our senior year of high school, and John was a loner. He had no friends. It was just incredible to watch John as he came to know the Lord and got involved in the church that he just blossomed relationally and and loving people, including me. And so I uh, had moved from uh, Texas and transferred to uh, Westmont College in Santa Barbara my first year there, my sophomore year. And uh, juniors and seniors there are not allowed to have a parking permit, not allowed to have a car on campus. So this is a negative example, by the way, what I'm about to tell you. We're going to get to the good love part in a second. This is a negative example. So, so I didn't listen to that rule, and I brought my pickup truck with a motorcycle in the back, and I would hide my motorcycle in the woods, and I just parked my truck down in Santa Barbara on a neighborhood street or whatever, and that's how I, that's how I rolled. And so I didn't keep it on campus, I didn't have a permit, but you know, I'd go get my truck and then I'd come get people and then we'd go off on our adventures. Well, one day, I go and get my truck and come back to go off on our adventures and the engine goes out on my truck on campus. I wonder who was behind that. Wasn't allowed to have it there and the engine is out. I don't have a lot of money. I get called in or I go in and meet with the uh, principal, as it were. It wasn't the principal, but I don't remember who it was. Someone, I was pretty terrified. I was in charge. Uh, somebody was in charge to tell him, yeah, I got my vehicle here. I'm not supposed to. I don't have a permit. And by the way, the engine doesn't work. And so here's where John comes into this story. This beautiful example of love. John lives in Dallas. The guy can fix anything. I've seen the guy, how when you're 20 years old do you know how to fix a copy machine? He fixes copy machines, he fixes cars, the guy fixes anything. So I call John. John, this is the story here. And I, I asked the school, is it possible I can leave it here? I'm going to try and get this thing fixed. This isn't fixing a tire or a timing belt. It's going to take some time. I call John and John says, hey, I will, I will, I've got some vacation. I'm going to take a week off. John uh, gets, in his, uh, gets in his old Mustang piles up all the Dr. Pepper, doesn't have money to spend the night anywhere, so Dr. Pepper to keep him up, and he drives 25 hours from, Santa, from Dallas to Santa Barbara to help me change an engine. He says, we'll get an engine in a junkyard, we'll change that thing. We towed it down to the physical plant on campus, they, they let us do that, Westmont was very gracious as this rule-breaking future pastor <laughs> has... Uh, a truck on campus that he shouldn't have. And they let us, and we worked hours and hours. We were just covered with grease and exhausted arms swapping this engine that we'd gotten from, from a junkyard. And we did this day after day after day. Finally get this thing together. John, uh, we go out to dinner finally that, that last night. Next day, John gets in his car, drives back to Dallas. Never been to California. Never, never been on a vacation. He was, he was changed by the power of the gospel 
And he loved people in everything that he did. And he loved me. And Paul, at the end of his letter here, is saying to the Corinthians, and he's saying to us, the Corinthians are a messed up folk like us. I'm calling you to do everything that you do, whether it's some big thing like this or whether it's going to work or just being online. Do everything, all that you have, verse 14, do everything in love. This is essential. This is important. He finishes the letter, the very last sentence. The Apostle Paul applies what he's admonishing them and us to do. My love to all of you in Corinth. This is how he closes. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. So those are two of the occurrences of the word love in this last chapter. There's one more occurrence of the word love. And I had to wrestle with this this week. Take a look at it with me. It's in verse... um, It's in verse 22. It says, If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. So here's how I read this 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 week, as I read this first. I didn't read this rightly. When when, when we read the Scripture and we feel like there's something wrong with it, the problem is with us, right? And so I'm reading this and I'm thinking, okay, in my mind, what's coming to my mind are, are people on street corners who seem to enjoy telling people they're going to hell and cursing them. You know the type? Have some of us been that type maybe in the past? I hope not. I maybe had a little bit of that in me in the past. You know the type of person I'm talking about? Say yes if you do. You're with me. Okay. So when I read this verse, the first time, this is what I'm thinking. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him, or or anathema, uh, let him be eternally accursed. The King James Version puts it this way, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. And then Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, calling for him to come. The NASB renders that verse this way, if anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. Maranatha, this just doesn't seem to fit with what we read in 1 Corinthians 13. This doesn't seem to fit with the heart of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament where it says that God desires everyone to come to a knowledge of the truth, that God desires everyone to be saved, 1 Timothy 2.4. And here he's saying, if anyone does not love the Lord, let him be anathema, let him be accursed. What, what is going on here? Let's look at a couple other occurrences of this word. It's just used a few times in the New Testament. It's used in Romans 9.3. Paul says for our, this word anathema, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, Paul says, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul here is saying in Romans 9.3, he is so longing for his Jewish brothers and sisters to come to Christ that he'd be willing to be separated forever from God and to be eternally accursed, to be anathema. If the Jewish people, my brothers and sisters, would come to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. That's how he's using that word there. He uses it also in Galatians 1. He says, but even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again, now if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. So this isn't a message here in Galatians 1 to unbelievers, but these are, these are heretics who are coming in. They're not teaching some 
some smaller area of doctrine of lesser importance that Paul's accursing them. But if they get the gospel wrong, there are eternal consequences. Let him be accursed. So these are a couple references in the way this word is used. But let's come back to this. What is going on here? Why does he say this? If anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. And the, the answer to this is we have to read this verse in the context of the book of 1 Corinthians. This isn't a verse that Paul is putting on a sign and and going on a street corner and telling people that they're all going to go to hell. This is not what he's doing. He is writing this to a church that has serious problems. Let's review just a couple of what those problems were to help help understand this verse. One of those problems was in chapter 5. Unpleasant topic. I'm bringing it up here in the last sermon on the series. But the, the situation in chapter 5, you might remember, there's a man, presumably he dies, and his son connects with his stepmom and lives as though he's married with his stepmother. The, the, these, are part, these two individuals are part of the Corinthian church. A man who is knowing his stepmother in a way that he shouldn't be. And the church was okay with that. They're thinking we're free in Christ. We're free from this. And Paul's saying, no, you're not. This is wrong. This is against the law of God. You can't do this sort of thing. Another reminder of, of what, how we understand. This is helping us to understand this verse. Hang with me here. Another reminder of what's gone on in, in the book of 1 Corinthians. In chapter 6, there's this problem where two believers in the Corinthian congregation, one is suing the other, demonstrating that, that what he really loves is money. So you've got two believers, one suing the other, in going in, in front of unbelieving court, an unbelieving judge, and, and Paul says, what are you doing? And Paul specifically addresses the recipient of the suit. It's interesting. Remember that? This is... Remember what he said? He, he said? he said, it would be better that you were wronged. It would be better that you were cheated than for the gospel to be hindered to the person who's being sued. The gospel is being hindered. Okay, so back to verse 22. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. What Paul is saying here is he is saying that those who are not willing to repent and obey and live according to God's word, and they simultaneously are professing faith in Jesus, like those who are suing, like those, that man who's with his stepmom, the stepmom who's with his, her stepson. This is, this is who this is addressing. So these strong words written in Paul's own hand. At the end of his letter, he would have a scribe write, and then at the end of the letter, he would take and he would write with his own hand. These strong words, verse 22, written in Paul's own hand, assert the apostolic authority behind the whole letter. This was not a curse on unbelievers generally. This wasn't the spirit of of, of angry people on the street corner. But this is a curse on those who have rejected Paul's authority and disobeyed the instructions of the letter. And so the church is a place for sinners 
but it is not a place for defiant, unrepentant sinners. And that's, who this, that's what this verse is for. If anyone does not love the Lord, someone who says, yeah, I love the Lord, but I'm just going to keep living this way, a curse be on that person that is dangerous. You are, you are making a mockery of what Jesus did on the cross. Instead, your response and my response should be, Lord, help me to repent of this sin that I keep doing. Help me to repent. You're welcome. This other type, a curse be on him. All right. Did you, did you track with me on that? Okay. Was that helpful? Okay. I need some affirmation today. Okay. Well, I want to do one other thing today. Uh, as we finish this last sermon in this series. It has to do with verse 20. Take a look at the end of verse 20. Paul says there, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, I was watching during our greeting time. Okay? I was watching. I didn't see any kiss. I didn't see any kiss. Um, He says a holy kiss, because kisses can get out of hand, right? So that's why, I'm serious, I think that's why he says holy kiss here. But I didn't even see any holy kisses here. So I want to just say a few things about this before, before we close. Now we know instinctually, we know from common sense that the issue here is not that we kiss one another. That was the common practice of greeting in the first century. And so we, we, we kind of know instinctually, we know from common sense that, it, that this, we don't have to kiss each other during the greeting or if we run into each other, at, uh, at, at Safeway or at uh, Bel Air or Rayleigh's or what have you. Uh, if you see me, you don't have to come up and give me a holy kiss. Amen? Amen. Okay, so, so we know that. Okay, we know that. But, so, but, uh, but there's other verses we don't have time to get into today. Can we do that with... How do we know that we can do that here? And what about some of these other verses, even in 1 Corinthians, where we just, we just don't, don't do that? How do we know that this, is, that this is something tied to the first century culture and not something to be done uh, forever and ever? So just really briefly, uh, the majority, the major difficulty in contextualizing, this is what we're talking about right, right now, how do we read the, the Bible that was written so long ago and how do we bring it into this century, into our current context? The major difficulty in contextualizing Scripture is deciding exactly what are the cultural or time-bound elements, like kissing one another with a holy kiss, in a passage. What are the cultural or time-bound elements in a passage, and what are the supercultural or eternal principles? So we need to have this, this dynamic in our minds as we come to Scripture. Now, in a verse like this, we kind of naturally have it, and we don't need a lot of this kind of thinking. But in other places, this kind of thinking is really important. That in the Bible, both cultural and normative commands are found. In other words, there are some commands that are tied to that first century culture that we don't necessarily need to obey today. And there are others that are normative, that are for all time, that are timeless. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandment. There's nothing from first century culture there. This is timeless. This is eternal. This is supra-cultural. 
We need to have this dynamic in mind that some things are as we come to the Word of God. Passages which deal with an issue systematically are used to help understand incidental references elsewhere. I'm trying to help us be good Bible students and Bible interpreters. So one of the things that we can do when we're reading a passage is we say, is this systematic teaching? At the very end of 1 Corinthians, is Paul saying, okay, guys, here's what I've got. This is the practice for all the churches. Here is how I want you to greet one another. Is that what he's doing here? That's not what he's doing. He's sending a message to a church that has been divided. A little review again, back chapters 1 through 3. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. There was factions. There's divisions. Paul's wanting them to love each other. He's wanting them to greet one another. In that context, the way they greeted one another is in a holy kiss. This isn't systematic teaching about how Christians should greet one another. So this is another thing that we should have in mind as we come to the Bible and we want to interpret it and understand it and make the difficult decisions about what is from the first century culture and what is timeless, what is eternal, what is supracultural. Sometimes a biblical command can be applied in a different, different cultural form than the one expressed in the ancient context of the Bible. That's what we have going on here. We had lots of wonderful greetings and, and hugs and handshakes and conversations going on during our time of greeting. We didn't have any holy kisses And I think we honored the Lord in that. What he is after, what Paul is after in the ancient church of Corinth and what he's after for us is that in everything that we do, that we do it in love. And he's after us loving one another even in the way that we greet one another. Let's bow our heads and ask God to help us to to do this. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the model the Lord Jesus, who loved us so much that he was willing to suffer and die in our place. We thank you for his example of of foot washing, his example of serving his disciples, of loving them in every setting and everything that he did. Lord, we we desperately need the Holy Spirit to help us to to be loving at work, at school, online, everywhere that we go. I'm asking now, Lord, that you would be at work in ways that I couldn't think about or prepare. There there are some of us here, Lord, we have not been loving in certain situations and scenarios. Lord, I pray that the gospel would be applied, that we would repent, and that we would be, Cornerstone would be a church of people who love everywhere, everything, everyone, wherever we go, those people love. Lord, might they say that about us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may stand as we continue to worship Jesus.